from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 418, Tuning SQL Server Stored Procedures with guest Kim Tripp. Recorded Wednesday, April 15th, 2015. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I have a treat as much for me as for you. I had a chance to spend a little time with Paul Randall and Kim Tripp actually in their home in Redmond, and Kim's sitting here with me right now. Hello, Kim. Hello. We had a lovely breakfast together and uh, been talking about all sorts of things. You've been doing all this work on tuning store procedures. This is, a, is this an upcoming video you're going to do? Yeah, so one of the, the things that is kind of near and dear to me is is poor performance. I don't know how that makes sense. How did that ever happen, huh? <laughs> but uh something that I've seen at, at just client after client after client is is problems with stored procedures. So one of the courses that I did for Pluralsight, um, I started out with statement execution and plan cache because that's so important for people to understand. Sure. I mean, that's true for every query. It's yeah. nothing to do with stored procedures per se. But. Yeah. And then from there, once you understand how statements kind of execute, how they get cached, and and how different ways of executing the statements work, because there's, there's just an ad hoc statement, then there's execute where you're building a dynamically constructed string. Mm-hmm. There's SP execute SQL for yes. executing uh, statements. And a lot of clients use that because they hear that ad hoc creates plan cache or it's actually called plan cache bloat. It's, right. it's a caching problem. Yeah. Um, and if they go to SP execute SQL, it gets rid of that. And they think, oh, well, okay, I should go to SP execute SQL. So they've killed one problem. But what they don't realize is that they've introduced another. Right. And that other problem is called parameter sniffing. And yeah. that's that statement when you use SP execute SQL on the first execution, it looks at your parameters. And it does this thing where it analyzes the parameters to see how much data those parameters are probably going to lead to. Now, it's not a perfect science to use statistics, sure. but, you know, they, they look at these things that SQL Server keeps for statistics, mm-hmm. a histogram. And they get some insight as to how much data that's going to be processed, and they come up with a plan. Well, with SP execute SQL based statements, the first time they execute, if there isn't a plan already in the cache, right. they come up with a plan and they store that plan so right. that subsequent executions don't have to come up with a plan. Right. Which, and, so, right. and that sounds great, but parameter sniffing and coming up with a plan for one set of parameters when the next execution could have a, a different set of values, right. which are statistically different, might need a different plan. You won't get one. Right. So so that's a great introduction to stored procedures because a stored procedure does exactly the same thing. But now you're tying the plan to the stored procedure rather than just the SP execute chain. Right. Well, an SP execute SQL is usually just a statement, whereas yeah. stored procedures start to get way more complicated. Many more you know, they might have 400 statements and sure. you might think, oh, well, this is great. I have a pre-compiled plan, so I don't have to pay to compile this yeah, on every execution. Because it can be very expensive. Yeah. Although, you know, with hardware and... Stuff's so fast Stuff days. is amazingly... And compilation costs are usually pretty low, especially in comparison to the cost of a poorly executing plan. Right. Because SQLs come up with a plan for different parameters, and then to execute it and all the IOs that they have to mm-hmm. do might be way worse, right? right? Because 
if your system's already I.O. bound and then you throw a really inefficient plan on top of that, you really feel that. Whereas most SQL servers, and I'm not saying all, but most are not CPU bound. Right. So they've got headroom to throw a little bit more compilation at it. So Sure. No, they're usually disk bound, although SSDs make that more complicated these days too. They do, but but you still can't solve every problem with SSDs. With faster storage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're still doing 6 million I.O.s, just because you can do 6 million I.O.s faster – Great, but if the query really only needed to do a hundred thousand yeah, IOs, you're, you're totally wasting cycles, and it's a lot less efficient on your server and a lot less scalable, sure. right? So SSDs definitely solve a lot of issues, and when you you have no ability to change an application whatsoever, I'm not against trying to kill some of your problems with Iron, right? Right. right. Um, but when you control the application, when you're writing the application, yeah, when you know you could make it better. Yeah, and and I find that a lot of people just think, oh, I don't have to care anymore because I can kill it with Iron, yeah. and that. That's not the case. So stored procedures, since they're so prevalent, and I see this problem everywhere, I mm-hmm. decided, okay, I'm going to start with statement execution and plan cache. Then I'm going to go to stored procedures. And my first course was seven hours, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even get through everything. I'm not even surprised, Kim. I mean, we've been <laughs> friends for a, a decade or two, and at least a decade. It's been, I think, like 12, 12 or 13, 12, 13 years, years now. And every time we dig into a problem <laughs> like this, it's way more you, you, that you could know about. Than it's, most people realize. It's amazing. It's like a I, lot. I, that's why I think I I have so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like every problem is like an onion. You know, yeah. and you're, you're peeling There's back the more. layers, and you're like, wait a minute, oh. Well, wait a minute. So I did this whole seven-hour course on store procedures, mostly focused on parameter sniffing and then the ways that you can deal with parameter sniffing in stored procedures programmatically. Like you can do something called statement-level recompilation. Okay. So you've got this 400 lines of code stored procedure – it's usually not every line of code that needs to be recompiled. No. And I would even say, without getting into a lot of details, never use procedure-level recompilation tactics. Like, never create a procedure with recompile, because you'll end up finding that it doesn't do everything that you'd want it to do. There's right. some statements that don't even work with that, mm-hmm. that... Oh, see, this is a tangent. This is actually in part two. So there's some features of SQL Server that when they're accessed or when they sh- when they could be accessed in a stored procedure, yep. they will never be accessed in a stored procedure unless that statement, not the procedure, that statement has option recompile. Oh, interesting. And and so if you put recompile on the procedure, they still won't use those features. Right. And one of those features, like just to give an example, is filtered indexes. Okay. So, you know, you create this great index that you run in management, you know, you run your queries in management studio. They're wicked fast. Mm-hmm. The index is incredibly small because it's only a subset just of data because you're going to need based on the parameter. Right. And you, and you think this is great. It's working great. Excellent. Excellent. You put that into a stored procedure and then all of a sudden it's doing either table scans. Never use that index. Yeah. And so all you need is option recompile and it'll On the statement. The statement. Okay. That's really an important piece. It it is. That's pretty much the only way for me to get a filtered index to behave inside of a stored procedure. procedure. Well, okay. So stored procedures can have parameters. Yep. They can have literals, mm-hmm. right? So you can have where status equals one inside the code of the stored procedure. Then right. SQL Server knows it's always one. I can use a filter on right. status. So there it can use it. It can also, well, it can't use it with variables either. So it has to be either a literal mm-hmm. um, or or a dynamic string could use it yep. or option recompile. Right. Um, so, but, th- so those are some special features and there's others that, that kind of need recompilation to really be effective and more efficient. Like another one, partition views. Um, they do this thing called parent partition elimination yep. where, you know, let's say I'll, I'll create a simple example. You've got a table of 
January data, yep. a table of February data, and a table of March data, mm-hmm. and then you create a view called Q1. Right. And then you say, select from Q1 where date is January 12th. Right. Of course, you don't need to read February and March. And if you've constrained your tables properly, because yes. this requires this. Yeah, so the, the so query processor knows, knows yes. that's what's can, actually in there. The word is trust. It can yeah. know and trust that the January table is only January data. Because it has a constraint that says this. Yes. Okay. Then you query on the column that's constrained, date. And that constraint says, yeah, I can eliminate the February and March. Not going to touch it. And that's a huge performance benefit. Yes. But now think about this. What if that view is referenced in a stored procedure? Right. And now sometimes you're selecting January. Sometimes you're selecting February. Right. The partition elimination will work Mm -hmm. without recompilation. But on the first execution, when it does its analysis and comes up with the the potentially complicated plan, its estimates will be tied to whatever the first value is that went in. Uh. So if you want better estimation, and and when you think of partitioning and you think of the amount of data that somebody might be querying on, let's say, a Monday versus – even a Friday or, mm-hmm. or a Saturday, for example, you know, if you're looking at sales, even if you are open seven days a week, yep. the buying patterns, what they buy, you know, the amount of data from a query could radically change sure. month to month. There could have been a big special in February on widgets. And but even if it's even, you're talking two or three times more data being looked at. Exactly. If you pull all those months in versus only taking in one. Well, and, and if your data is always looking for one day or three days or five days, yeah. you know, the partition elimination works, but you still want better estimates. Sure. And so that's where, again, recompilation starts to be a better idea. So so part one was all about parameter sniffing and dealing with it at the statement level. Mm-hmm. And then I realized after seven hours, I'm like, okay, I have to wrap this up. And I want to I want to <laughs> get this course done. Um, I really need a part two because I didn't get into something called session settings. Right. And I don't know if you've had this pleasure, but but working in applications, one of the things that people don't realize is that when their application, whether it's .NET or it's based on an ODBC DSN or, or however they're connecting, right? Mm-hmm. That connection establishes a set of parameters for how the session works. Right. And these are called your session settings or your session state. Well, what's interesting about that is there are some session settings that are needed for some features to work. Right. And if those session settings aren't set, then you can't leverage those features. And like a good example there would be, well, interestingly enough, a filtered index. Right. Like filtered indexes not only need other stuff, but they need these session settings to be set a certain way. So imagine again, you're in management studio, you're getting the filtered index to work and it's working wonderfully. You've put it into a stored procedure. You're using recompile. You right. think everything's happy and you're, you're great, right? You're feeling very smart. Right. So then in your application, you call the stored procedure and the performance stinks. And right. you're like, what is going on? And you come to find out that when that application establishes its session to SQL Server, mm-hmm. it didn't set all of the necessary session settings. And what settings are we talking about? So the session settings that can give you grief, there, there's actually six of them that have to be on and one of them that has to be off. Right. And then there's a variety of features that are impacted. And they're all listed under a section called set options that affect results. But for example, things like ANSI nulls. Mm-hmm. ANSI padding, ANSI warnings, concatenal yields null. Actually, that I might be wrong on that one. I have to look at the list myself. Sure. Um, but there's there's a set of settings that are on by default in Management Studio right. that are not on by default 
in DB Live right. or in most applications. The normal negotiated connection. And like Arithabort is sure. probably one of the most frustrating ones. Oh, interesting. That's, uh, that one's not usually on. And if that's not on, then bam, you can't use these features. Right. And the features list is actually quite large. It's it's not just filtered indexes, but it's indexes on computed columns. It's indexed views. It's spatial indexes. And these are settings that would make Management Studio behave better when you're, when you're building queries. You just have to remember that if you're counting on those settings, you have to make sure they're in your session. connection string. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're either set by your connection string or they're set with a session setting statement right. after you connect. But that's also the frustrating part because mm-hmm. then they can be set at any point. So mm-hmm. they could be set on connect, but they could be set later in the application. They could be changed uh. in the application. So even though you might get consistent behavior in one part of your application, right. they might not be consistent in another part you of your application. You call some other app that tweaks those settings for whatever reason. And then you're well. This goes back to you know, and, and it's you know putting my dev hat on. It's like don't hold connections to databases longer than you absolutely have to. No, and make sure you're establishing your connection correctly. Yes. And so there's there's six or seven that just fall into that category, mm-hmm. but there's actually a whole nother set of session settings that when they're set. They cause a recompilation. Right. And people don't realize this. I have a stored procedure in a database that I thought behaved one way. Right. But now I've got three applications and each one has different session settings. You have three plans in cache that are do. potentially different plans. Right. So now you've got this inconsistent app works behavior. This, way. Yes. this app works that and way. And you're losing your mind. Yeah, yeah. And they could even be inconsistent. Well, then you fire up Studio to test it. And works it works great. differently. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's one of these things where you're kind of like, your troubleshooting is is frustrating and inconsistent and you know you, you want to say no when i use this application it does this and then the next time you try to do that it it doesn't do that right. it does something else and so you're kind of losing your mind when you combine parameter sniffing problems then with things like multiple plans because you have different application yes. settings now i mean i could have a view that would show me i have three plans yes. here right yes and it's it's not as simple as you might think, but yes, there's DM exec procedure stats. Right. And that starts to give you insight into how many executions and what you've been doing with your procedures. But I think it's wildly important that you get to pull that against a production data server to be able to see that these apps are calling all of these things. Like normally in my test environment, I never would have run all three apps at once to see these three plans. Well, Okay, so I've got even a better DMV then. If you've got all three of the applications connected, mm-hmm. one of the things that you could do is use DM exec session settings. Right. And, or no, sorry, DM exec sessions. I keep saying session settings, but mm-hmm. DM exec sessions, you can run and you can see across all of your connected applications what their session settings are. Right. And then you can quickly see this list of like Arithaboards and ANSI nulls and see if it's on in all of the applications. And that might be a quick indicator. Okay that application is not connecting with the right session settings. Right. So that that's helpful. But then if you start to have weird problems with cache, there's other things that you can do to see your procedures are in cache and then see the plan attributes as well. So I've, I actually ended up writing this, this query for my <laughs> class. And here's the big problem. All the plan attributes are rows. It's like name value pairs. Right. So then, you know, you want to cross apply and then get those into columns. And it turned out that I had to join something. I had to join four or five tables, cross apply four or five times, you know, some crazy combination of things. But I ended up being able to see in one fell swoop, like how many plans I have in cash, what the session settings are for every one of those plans. Right. Um, Cause all they give you in, in, in the plan attributes for the value is a 
um, a numeric, it's a bit mask. Right. So then you have to reverse engineer the bit mask yes. and you have to know what all of the so bit means chain, as well. You this number. Yes. You got to turn it back into a bitwise operator. Yes. And, and then, then you've got to figure out what each one of those yes. bits actually means. And so I did all that. So it's very obvious. It's, oh it's incredibly easy and obvious, right? <laughs> yeah. After those four hours. No. So I, I got all that working. But then there's even another layer that, that was interesting to me. Now, I don't think as many people use this, but mm-hmm. resource governor. Right. So if you've got a user, two Last users time I did a talk pool. on SQL Server, it was about using Resource Governor to, to govern s- IO to stop executing oversized, badly orchestrated query by example, which is things. great, yeah. right? And and if you just have one Resource Governor pool, it's not that big of a deal. But a lot of people will start to put users into different pools, sure. and give them different rights. Yeah, well. yeah. So then you think, okay. I'm not going to have any issues. Well, okay, now you have a resource governor or you have a plan for each store procedure per resource governor pool, right. per session settings, yes. per application, right? And you, you start to go, Why do I have 15 holy, plans yeah, in this Yeah, exactly. Like, why why don't I have enough memory and why yeah. am I having these issues and why am I getting different plans mm-hmm. and why is this whole, so hard for me to troubleshoot? And that's that's what makes it kind of interesting, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what real life is when you get into production. You have these multiple apps and you have these rule sets and, and did you build a test environment that actually matched production? Yeah, you know, the, can do you think of the, the number of combinations yeah, here? Yeah, do you right? have so, the resource governor constraints put onto your test environment? Right. That you and, don't. And and are you watching even your, mm-hmm. your plans and are you checking? Are you just making sure everything's running reasonably or you know, a lot of developers and there's a name for this and I'm going to all of a sudden forget this, but a lot of developers will do Quality testing, like uh, making sure that their code paths yep. are, you know, exhausted and that they they work and they're yeah. doing the right and the, things. And the, the, each thing is as simple as possible. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't do what I call plan stability testing. Like they don't take their stored procedures to a different level. And I, I wouldn't say it's the next level or a better level or, mm-hmm. a, but it's just you know they always make sure that they, the the stored procedures execute and right. and that they work and they get back the right data. And of course, those are all very important. Sure. Things, and you right? might be able to set a test to try a variety of parameters. Exactly. Make sure every execution path actually runs. Exactly. And there's a name for that. Like making sure every execution path. Yeah, it's code coverage. Code coverage. Thank you. I was just totally skipping my my brain there for a second. But yeah, so they make sure they do code coverage testing Mm -hmm. and, and that's fantastic and important, but they don't, you know, they don't usually have the same size data. Yes. They have, you know, these days, even developers, you know, the machines that we're running on can get away with a lot of crap. Very, very torquey. And they, they don't, they don't care, you know, they don't think, uh, not the developers, the, the hardware like is like whatever, right. you know, it, okay, you've got a million rows and it's still milliseconds, right. right? And so a developer runs a store procedure. I did this great demo at pass and actually this is free. I'll give you this in the resources. Sure. Um, at my session in pass last year, I showed essentially one stored procedure that had six or eight parameters. So imagine this, you've got an application that is find customer. Right. And, and your application, you know, I, my joke on my blog post was widgets are us, right? <laughs> and you, you can put in like a first name, a last name. You can put in even like a city. You can put in wild cards. You can put in a customer number and you can put in any combination of these things and then say search, right? right? And so somebody might say, you know, oh, I want to find Kimberly Trip. Well, that's, that's nice and simple. That's relatively selective. There's yep. probably only one or two of them in the database, right? So it, nice. But they could also put in first name like I, right? And last name like P, right? right? And then how does SQL Server efficiently find that? Well, the point is that combination of parameters leads to a tremendous number of potential plans. And if one plan gets put in the cache for that, then 
that plan might be horribly bad for everybody sure. else. Like just absolutely horrific. So my, my lecture was about this one store procedure. And so what I did is I then created a plan for each combination. So I kind of, I executed with recompile, which right. again, still doesn't work for things like filtered indexes, sure. but it is, is a good way of testing you know, what does a better plan look like for a wide variety of things? So I took, you know, a combination of last names, a combination of some of the same stuff that a developer would do for code coverage. But now I'm taking it to that next step where I take all those different combinations. I put with recompile, with recompile, with recompile, with and then I watch the show plan. And I don't even care what the show plan is. I just want to know if the pattern is different. How different are they? Yeah, get your five-year-old involved. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) And and all you have to do is do pattern matching. Like, are those the same plan? And very likely, the more complicated the statements are, they're not going to be, which, which immediately will tell you as a developer, this code could be prone to parameter sniffing problems right. because whoever gets there first is going to define the plan. Yeah. So then, and this is also in the, in the session, so they might really appreciate this. Um, I then took one of the combinations and ran it first and then looked at how inefficient all the other combinations were right. with the one that was efficient for that version. Right. So like, imagine there's, I, there were 14 combinations I think I did. Right. And then, so I, I said, okay, I run combination one. How bad is it across two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight? And then I said, okay, then I clear the cache and I run combination two right. and I look at it against one, three, five, you know, and it was really fascinating. Like yeah. there were, there were cases where, you know, it was estimating the numbers wrong and it was spilling to disk. So even the plans that it was generating were just inefficient and they weren't even allocating enough resources right. to do them. So then they were even less efficient. So it was really fascinating. And, and so all of this is kind of what I've tried to come together and, and show people. And, and I've got great feedback. Like That's, people are, it's awesome. I mean, one second here. I got to pay the bills because Run As Radio is brought to you by Script Rock, the makers of guardrail and the fighters of configuration drift. Configuration drift happens in every environment from five nodes to 5,000. Guardrail will find and scan the configs of every node in your environment, no matter the platform, and alert you to changes happening across machines. Give it a try for three months free with the coupon code RUNASRADIO, all one word, at scriptrock.com slash RUNASRADIO. That sounds pretty cool, actually. It's really a great product. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm the luckiest guy in the world that I get to talk about stuff that is really excellent. Uh, and stored procedures. And <laughs> stored procedures. Well, and it, you know, the fun part is I feel like we've just gone through one sequence in the first half there of just understanding the effects of recompile and the fact that you end up with so many plans in production. Like more and more, the work that I end up doing is about instrumenting production well to understand how different it is from their test and development environments. Yeah. Like it just keeps happening. Well, and, and you know, I, it's not that anybody is stupid. No, especially no, we're trying with to do the right thing. Yeah, everybody's trying to do the right thing. And and the thing that I think is really interesting, and I, I always, in every one of my courses, like I talk about the fact that performance tuning in SQL Server is not just knowing your data. Right. You know, I, I had somebody once that came up to me, and I, 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 I've probably told you this story before. I love this story. They mm-hmm. came up to me at a conference, and they said, hey, Kim, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And they said, do you mind if we sit down? And I'm like, Okay, there was like a little table and chairs. Sure. And and I'm sitting on the right, they're on my left, and they have a bag on their left. Right. So I can't quite see it. And they start rummaging around in their bag, and I'm kind of like looking around, trying to see what's going on. And they pull out what looked initially like a stack of papers. And I'm, I'm kind of going, okay, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> but then I realized why they wanted this table. They start unfolding what wasn't a stack of papers. It was actually their entire ERD, their of schema. Course. Right? And they're unfolding, and they're now 
you know, kind of spreading it out on this little table in front of us. And I'm like, okay, where's this question <laughs> going to go? What right? have I committed myself to? Yeah, exactly. And now I'm sitting down. I'm like supposed to be ready for this, right? Yeah. And so they, they literally like wipe their hand across it and they go, how would you index this? <laughs> like their, their, their whole schema is like sitting. Wow. And, and, it's a great story, and and I remember like looking and saying, okay, let let's talk about this. Let's let's find a table on here that I might have some idea about right. off the top of my head, right? Which yeah. is nothing, right? But it's just a common pattern, table, maybe. Right. So I start to look for like a customer table or yeah. something like that, and I'm like, well, there's this customer table. I bet you look up customers by name. Mm-hmm. An index on name could be helpful, but you know, if you turn around and tell me that this is your demographics analysis database where everything you're doing is like city state zip combinations right. and only aggregates. Yeah, and you never look up names individually, yeah. then my index on name is not only useless, but it's it's overhead, it's yep. wasting disk space, it's, if anything has to be modified, you know, it, this goes to disk, it goes to the log, it costs you research. It just, it doesn't make sense. Like, sure. we don't need to have this index. So... You need to know your data, obviously, but you need to know your workload. You need to know the criticality of certain queries. Mm-hmm. And then the piece that's always missing, and this is, you know, bringing it back to the whole developers aren't stupid. That's not what right. I'm saying. You know, they know their data, they know their workload, but they often don't always know how SQL Server works. Right. And, and some of this stuff just, Ain't intuitive, you know? <laughs> like, I, I will sit down sometimes and, right. and Paul and I will, will chat about stuff and I'll be like, Paul, did you know this? <laughs> and he'll just be like, wait a minute. Okay. Let's go through this again. How would it have gotten here? Uh, yeah. How did we get here? And, you know, we talk about it and, and sometimes it's just like, wow, I don't think I would have thought of it that way right. or I, you know, and it's just, it's interesting to me. And yeah. I, and, that's what I'm trying to do with my store procedure courses is just say, you know, this isn't intuitive. This might not have been the way you would have done it. This might not be what you think is logical, but in the end, this is how it freaking works. This is what actually happened. This is what we have to deal with. Well, isn't that the great Venn diagram, right? What you intended, <laughs> what you built, and what actually happened. Yeah, ex- well, not the same thing. No. I mean, how many times do users tell you what's important to them right. and you want to tune that, but in the end, their users are so myopic. They only know what they know, yeah, right? The stuff they, that's right in front of them. Exactly. And they, they don't necessarily know where the application would be best to tune. Sure. You need to know the workload more comprehensively than yeah. that. So it's, it's fascinating to me. I just, I, and stored procedures are everywhere, right? And, and they run, the developers run them on their machine. And that was another part of my presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they run them on their, Desktop, and they yeah. run all fourteen of those different combinations, and each one of them on my laptop is subsecond, yeah. right? And you think, yeah, this is great, this it's monster. fast, yeah. it's awesome. And and I had how many rows did I have in that set? I had a reasonable, uh, I had thirty thousand, forty thousand, and they were kind of actually, I did, I did bring this up too. They were kind of done the way that a lot of developers will do it. Like they'll cross apply these tables and generate some data and they'll right. grab some data from here. Yeah. And you know, so there's inconsistencies in the pattern. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe I didn't have the biggest test set, but my point is, you know, it still looked good. Like, yeah. I, you know, I still did code coverage. I yeah. still looked at how it ran and it ran well enough that I was satisfied to a point. And that, that's what I'm saying is, you know, we as developers, think it looks good, it runs, it gets the right data, it's sub-second, ship it, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, there's all those other factors that don't 
they're just not known, yeah. you know, and, and, and developers end up not realizing, oh, this is executed by different users in different resource governor pools or yep. different users from different applications with different session settings or, you know, How blah, does it blah, behave blah. when four of them are running? Yeah. And we have all these issues where we end, I mean, code is re-entrant in SQL, so they can sure. use the same plan. Absolutely. But you still have, you still have that issue. But now you're talking locking impacts and things like that. Well, right? and that, yeah, there might be some of the data or the mm-hmm. indexes or something, but it's one of those things where you don't necessarily know what SQL Server is going to do because, like I said, it's not always intuitive. Sure. And, and you kind of, you, you sometimes need that, you know, person like me that's been in the trenches and has beat my head against yeah, the yeah. wall. Like, you're welcome, right? You've, For got, saying- you've got these scars, right? <laughs> I've got the you scars. You would benefit from my scars <laughs> yes, here. And, and so that's the, the fun part. And yeah. so I, I, I'm just about to record part two mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm estimating about. Really another seven hours. No, you can no, estimate all you want. Not going to be seven oh, hours. Yeah, sure. It's going to be a few okay. hours. So. Sure. A few. We want to bet some money on this. <laughs> I'll just stop talking to win. Uh, so actually, okay. I probably let's see you stop then, talking. Yeah, How's that going to go? I probably can't do that. So you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's I think it's going to be fun, and that that's going to be the next course that comes out. It'll be really as, yeah, that'll be really exciting stuff. You know, recently we did a show uh, with Troy Hunt. We were talking about. How SQL injection is still this huge issue out I, in the world. I got some random tweets from somebody that was CCing you from some conference, and I'm like, how did I get involved in this? But I was like, okay. But, you know, when you talk about stored procedures and, and SPXQ and sure. so forth, like one of the pieces of this is this sanitizing your input. Sure. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, and it's, Incredibly important. In fact, it's funny because I we were talking about little Bobby tables. Sure, um, yes. the XKCD, the great XKCD uh, uh, graphic. I did a blog post. If you actually look for little Bobby tables trip, right? Um, <laughs> I, I link to the XKCD cartoon. I, I and then he has a Creative Commons license, so you can yeah. reproduce it. Randall um, Monroe is a wonderful guy. Yeah, he's you've fantastic. met him. That's, I have met him. That's uh, I, he's got to be very interesting. Very very interesting. Uh, yeah. So very, what a character. Quite shy, you know. In a in, you know, when in our circles were running with very great gregarious people no. and here was this incredibly normal scientific mind very thoughtful but you know there's a reason he draws comics yeah. he doesn't talk on stage it's but, uh, but i i love it and so yeah xkcd yeah and, um how this, do we sanitize these inputs like do you think that's part of the store procedures requirements really to, to, well, okay. to do that sanitation so my blog post I, it, mm-hmm. one of the things that you can do in sequel is Anything that comes in. Now, it depends on where you want to parameterize your code. If you're allowing, like, the entire where clause to be an input parameter, then you, you can't leverage it. You're asking it. for it. You're asking for it, right? Yeah. But if, if you end up having, um, a value that you build into a string, there, there are some functions. Quote name yeah. will allow you to take Usually what was going to be an identifier, mm-hmm. like a table name or something, and quote it, delimit it properly, um, even if it has like quotes in right. it. So, but that only works for sysname data types, which is an nvarchar 128. Right. So if you have a longer string or a larger string that you want to properly delimit, there's another function called replace. And you can replace a quote with a quote quote. Right. Right. But of course that has to be in quotes. So it, it turns out like when you do replace, you end up having six quotes. Yeah. yeah right. Quotes get really hairy. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that drives people crazy with dynamic strings. Don't we just start with this idea of do not allow a fully dynamic where clause? Like well, you're in trouble. A fully dynamic, I yeah. wouldn't allow. No, I, I only allow parameters to come in and be built where they would 
be a normal single parameter value. Right. And, and so then my and, blog post says you can do that. And the point is you can't make a good query plan with a fully dynamic clause like that anyway. Well, like, you can actually. This is what's interesting. Um, if you build it dynamically, mm-hmm. the thing that's great is nothing about the plan is saved with the procedure or sure. cache until runtime where they look at the statement and they look at the actual values. Right. At that point, everything's a literal. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, then it can be sniffed. They can come up with a plan. There have been some cases in the past where sometimes the better plans that I end up generating are because I've used a dynamic string. So, so I'm kind of a fan of it in some cases. Yeah, but you do have to constrain you have it. To, so there's two things, though. There's there's the making sure that the string is properly delimited will save you a huge amount of headache. However, there's a cool feature that a lot of people don't know about, and it's called loginless users. Hmm. So you can create a username within a database that you cannot access any other way. You cannot log in right. to SQL Server. You have to already have a login to SQL Server. You have to already have access into a database. Mm-hmm. And then as a developer, I can create a stored procedure to execute as mm-hmm. this loginless user who I then have created for just one stored procedure, like this one user with just the rights of the string I'm going to construct. Interesting. And then even if they do inject something, their rights are so limited yeah. that they can't, they're pigeonholed. They can't do anything. So the combination of properly delimiting the string and then using execute the as yeah. Well, you just take the DML capabilities away. Exactly. Right? You gone. take all the capabilities. Yeah. It, like if, if the string is supposed to select data from table X, you grant them select on it, table and X and, and that's, that's it, it. right? Yeah. You can put all the semicolons you want and it's not going to help it's you. It's not going to help you, yeah. you know? And so I think that's something, I mean, that's something that as a DBA, I could keep control of. I could sanitize the heck out of those inputs. Yeah, you could. Most DBAs, I'd say, don't have enough time to look at every bit of code and every sure. store procedure. I mean, I really, and I don't think this is hard for developers to do, mm-hmm. but again, how many, de- I mean, execute as yeah. has been there since 2005, something like that. 2008. It's, it's been around for a long time mm-hmm. and it's just not widely used right. in this context and it should be. And that that's why I wrote this blog post. And yeah. I, very powerful stuff. It's a great idea Yeah, to just, you know, what this, what, what this store procedure or this query set's going to do. So limit it. Give it the, just the rights for that execution. As soon as you're going to take parameters from somebody else, as soon as you don't, you're never exactly certain what it is. I mean, that that will really step on yeah. SQL ejection risk. So here's my problem. Mm-hmm. So execute as, you can execute, you can set the rights to anything you want, sure. right? So here's the problem. I want it to always be a low-privileged tr- user, right? A constraining right? privilege. Constra- yeah, but if somebody doesn't know what they're doing they or the they way. don't realize it, it can you yeah. actually provide more rights in an execute as than the logged in account? Yes. What? Yes. And that's how is that even possible? It, it's, it's if a, if a DBO, you yeah. know, if a DBA or a, a, the person that's acting as the database owner mm-hmm. is also like a sysadmin, right, right, and has rights across the server and can put any code that they want inside of a stored procedure and sure. then elevate the rights, that's actually. One of the other use cases they right. they actually intended you need for to this. Promo- you need to re- raise your privilege to do a particular execution, and but drop you don't want down. to give them an SA right, exactly. right? So there's there is a use there's case a for, for it, but 
It's horrifyingly bad. If you bad. give them execute as privileges in the first place, it can go. Well, execute as isn't a privilege. Okay. It, you have to say execute as something. Right. So you could say the default is execute as caller. So you're always right. checking the rights of the user, which is actually what they do with dynamic strings by default. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also supposed to protect from dynamic string execution and SQL injection because if a user doesn't have rights to do the statement, then they shouldn't be able to drop a table, for sure. example. So the execute as caller, the history of this is supposed to prevent SQL injection in and of itself. Right. The problem is a lot of people will do execute as like the owner of the stored procedure, mm-hmm. which then usually has elevated rights. Yes. Or they could elevate by saying execute as user Joe, you know, or some user and not thinking Joe also has rights to do X and Y and Z. Elsewhere. And yeah. then they, they elevate their rights again. So it, the problem really is it's so flexible. Yeah. It'll get you into trouble. Yeah. And it, it really speaks to you need to create users specifically for the purpose and that's don't yeah. be reusing right and and that's another i was gonna say i have seen somebody go oh i'll make this the user that the stored procedures use so like for stored procedure x they have this permission and then stored procedure y they have this permission and the next thing you know this user has like psycho privileges yes. right and you're you've gone way beyond what you should have yeah. so don't do that either so yes i it might end up meaning that you have 50 procedures and 50 individual users right. but i'd certainly rather have that than anybody executing stuff they yeah. don't have rights to do well and again it's like like you've got to look at the look at the procedures that could be exploited. Exactly. And it's not going to be every no, it's not procedure, gonna, no. right? So going to be I would hope relatively few of them. Exactly. Exactly. So there went a half hour. How did that happen? <laughs> I I don't know. Richard, how did how did we do that? I don't know. It happens every time. <laughs> and Paul is with us too. Do you want to say hello? <laughs> Paul just finished yet another user group. I, uh, yeah. I told you that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're doing 70, 72 user groups, 73 now, um, user group se- sessions across, um, well, the world. Um, wow. so that's so cool. If any of you run a user group, you know, let us know. We'll try to get you in for this year or next, maybe. Oh, and yeah, just email paul at sqlskills.com. Kim Tripp, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Again. thanks, Richard. I love being here. And I thanks love, for breakfast. I love you, man. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> and this has been Run As Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 